0: I realized in the pairing, the first round, they put me up against the world champ. And I knew this was... <laughs> Who to did you go up against me. first? It was a guy out of Jersey named DJ Cheese. I knew this was to get me out of the way. And it was, there was two setups. One of the setups, everybody that was on this setup was losing. The needles were jumping. And I am the ultimate tech geek. So I came up there with my slip mats, I came up there with my own needles, and I came up with a can of WD-40, which was oil, because if you sprayed it in the crossfader, the crossfader would get really loose. So I walked up to Cheese, and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, like, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm Jazzy Jeff, you know, because I like Cheese. And he looked at me and walked away. This is Nas. Nice. Growing
1: up in Queensbridge, I never imagined the music I heard blasting at the park would change my life and transform the world, but it did, and I met a lot of people along the way who feel the same. Take this journey with me to explore how we built the culture and continue to carry on tradition. You're now listening to The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop.
2: Hey, I'm Minya O, a.k.a. Miss Info, co-host of The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip-Hop. When you talk to someone as prolific as DJ Jazzy Jeff, you realize there's layers and levels. Jeff's DJ skills didn't just come from his talent and his grind. They were homegrown, quite literally, from growing up in a musical family with deep ties to Philadelphia's soul music scene. Jeff's Philly roots gave him legendary mentors to call on and were a key influence in his musical style from his very first house parties to the world stage. On this episode, Jazzy Jeff talks about his family history, that infamous DJ battle for world supremacy, his partner in rhyme, Will Smith, and a little song they made that every kid in the world could relate to.
1: I gotta say, if there's an era I miss, it's back in the 80s when hip hop was fun. You had artists like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince with their colorful videos that really stood out. It was a time when the DJ was in the forefront and every rap album had a song dedicated to the DJ. And there were few DJs as brilliant as DJ Jazzy Jeff.
2: A lot of people who know you, they don't also know the pedigree the other part of the pedigree which is like straight battle DJ really hard technical skills like a surgeon so if you can kind of talk about who you were before most people knew you
0: oh man um I am the youngest of six kids my dad was an MC for Count Basie in, wow. the, in the original sense. Like my dad was ladies and gentlemen, please put your hand together for the legendary Count Basie. So I grew up wow. with wow. Count Basie records, Jimmy Smith records, West Montgomery records from my dad, 78s. Then my older brother played the bass for the intruders. So I grew up with Philly soul in my house. They would rehearse in the basement. You know, and I would sit on the steps and I'm watching them rehearse. So I grew up with them. They were just straight Chick career, Herbie Hancock, Vishnu Orchestra and all the rest of that. And then my sisters were the typical Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. And me being the youngest, I sp- soaked all of that up. So when hip hop came, it was just kind of like, OK, now I got my own, but I still remember all of the music that I grew up with. And, and you take all of that and just put that into a big pot. And then when you start making music, you know, especially early when, you know, we digging through records and sampling, I never thought to dig through the records that they had. I'm 10 years old making a Chick career tape. You know, I was I was that kid. So when it got to a point, it was like, you know what, maybe I should maybe I should sample this Chick Korea. Like, this is kind of dope.
2: You had all the crates right, like right there in your right house. Right
0: there. But that helps. You know, that's one of the one of the things that I'm a really big advocate of playing music in the house at all times, you know, especially for your kids. They can have it. I had my music, but I had all of the other music. You know, my son knows every record that you've ever made, you know, Man. because it was played in the house. I'm honored. You know, so those, I think, are the things that kind of got me into the music. Because it was it was about the music first before you started getting into the technical skills and all the rest of that. And it was just, I wanted my mom to think what I did was cool. So I used to put Herbie Hancock records on and just scratch like I was a part of his band. Like I did not want it to be me scratching over top. I wanted to fit in. So, like an instrument. Like, like an instrument. So... That's level. I don't want to be above everybody. I want to fit in. That's cadence. That's rhythm. That's if I'm paying attention to the rhythm of the drummer, I want to match his rhythm of me scratching because I never wanted my mom to say, stop making that noise. I wanted my mom to think it was a part of the record.
2: So if you can get to the moment that kind of changed it all, was it the new music seminar? Was it that moment that that Um, was like when everybody recognized who you were and
0: well i mean you know what it started local like it really started you know you would have these block parties every saturday and if it was 10 block parties nine of them sucked because somebody was going to have everybody there and it was i probably was 12 years old and i did a block party around the corner from my house which was a big two-way street and just so happened, nobody had a block party that week in the era. So it was a lot of the older DJs that kind of came, and they're looking at this 12-year-old kid with, you know, six, 700 people in the street controlling everybody. And, you know, you start in the neighborhood. You start getting $20 to do this house party and $20 to do this house party and... Then someone asked you to do direct center where there's other DJs and it's really kind of conquering your territory. You know, it was like, okay, let me go through West Philly. Let me go to Southwest Philly. You know, I met a friend in North Philly that, you know, you don't go to North Philly and try to DJ on nobody else's thing. So you have to be invited by somebody from North Philly that will just put you on. And now people in North Philly know who you are. And it just kind of grows. And that was, that was it. You know, the same time, that I was doing that, Will was doing that in Winfield with a whole different crew of people.
2: Is and, Winfield North Philly or where no, is it? No,
0: Winfield is extreme West Philly. Okay. But, you know, it was, you You get to know the crews and off of the flyers, who's, you know, who's the guy in the neighborhood. And you really start to take that over. And it's kind of like, you know, once Will and I kind of got together, we just kind of ran through the city like one time and then it was time for him to to go to college, and we made a demo tape. And he took it to, you know, the guy who had the local record company, and the guy was kind of like, hey, we want to put this out. So I was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to be able to tell my kids one day I made a record.
2: You didn't think about it as a, this is my ticket. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life.
0: Nobody did at that time. It was nobody's ticket. That early on, you didn't inspire to be a recording artist. That wasn't even in the blueprint. I wanted to be the king of Philly. I am the, the, the ultimate DJ in Philly. Never thought I could DJ in New York or in Virginia or in North Carolina. We didn't have those dreams. You know, even putting out a record, it was kind of like, yo, if I, if I can hear this on the radio and one day I can show my kid like your dad made a record, I'm good. So y'all got your record deal in
1: 85, 86? 85. Eighty-five. So that's Run DMC. That's Shan. That's
0: LL. first record started in Philly at the same time, and it started Pop in Art. Philly. Well, Pop Art. That's who. That's who we got our record deal with. So New Pop Art. Art was Dana Goodman and Lawrence Goodman. Lawrence Goodman had Pop Art when Dana was the one that Will took the demo tape to. Dana took it to Lawrence, and Lawrence didn't like it. Lawrence didn't like girls ain't nothing but trouble. And Dana was like, "I'm gonna put it out." So he put it out, and why didn't he like it? Well, I don't know if it was necessarily that he didn't he didn't like it. I think you know Lawrence had Salt and Pepper. You know they were the showstoppers. Yeah. You know he put that out. Lawrence had Eddie D. Lawrence had almost the entire Juice Crew because the uh, the connection of Pop Art and Mr Magic. You know New Yorkers went to Philly yeah. to get on. Yeah. So I like, went
1: to Philly. To get on, with Chris Schwartz. Ruff listen, House
0: I'm gonna tell you the crazy oh, thing. Yes. I the studio that I built a touch of jazz in was the studio that Nas recorded his first record. Because I don't know if you remember, you signed a piece of wood in my studio. I had the Fugees. Yes, I had Nas. Everybody that had recorded with Chris Schwartz and Roughhouse signed the wall, and that was the studio that I had. And I never, which I'm mad, when I moved out of the studio, I should have cut that wall and took it with me. But <laughs> it was everybody's signatures were there. And Lawrence didn't like the record. He didn't like it. It and, was too
2: soft? No, nah,
0: and see, that's the funny thing. Back then, it wasn't soft to hard. This was th- This was the beginning. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, one of the first tours that we went on was... You know, Houdini, Run DMC, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Kid and Play. Come on, man. Like it was in public enemy. So oh. was, there wasn't there wasn't categories oh. of hip hop right. back then. You know, you liked it all. So it's kinda like I'm gonna sing Rebel Without a Pause and I'm gonna sing Parents Just Don't Understand.
1: Jeff and uh, Will, you know, and other artists that were that I was buying their records, it didn't seem like an easy thing. Today, you look at it, it's even more easier to get your music out. But back then, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to make it. It was like, if I ever get to record something, mm-hmm. I can hold this to remember how good I was at that point in time at this particular mm. thing. But it
0: was no guarantees. People don't understand what it's like going to a city and going on stage, and I'm doing something that they'd never seen before. A big part of a lot of the DJ routines that Will and I would do, he would always narrate. Like, that was Will, make it sound like a bird. That was because we would do early shows, and it was like the the back-to-the-future moment that I would do these DJ routines, and it would be pitch quiet. And I was like, yo, they have no idea what I did. Wow. They'd never seen it before. So he had to start narrating it. Like, Jeff, do the Suss and sets Scratch. And then, you know, it was two plus two. Oh, my God, this is great. Jeff, make it sound like a bird. Oh, my God, look what he just did. This is amazing. Like, it was that age of discovery was amazing because each city that you went to, you're kind of like, no, we were the first rap group to tour Canada ever. Wow. <laughs> like I'm
2: speechless. You know what I mean? I, like, so
0: being in the beginning of it, there was a level that you'll never see again. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm about to do something for the first time that anybody has ever seen it, which is a good thing and it can be a bad thing because it's kind of like it, like I said, you know, there were many nights that we went so far over people's head that it was kind of like we need to dial us back a little bit because Philly and New York were in a different space
1: than in the, in Virginia. The future. In the future.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. In the future. And one of my favorite uh, DJ styles was uh, the Transformer. Mm-hmm. And I know you was killing that one. That's when you really said, oh, wow. Like the Transformers was the, uh, you know, the cartoon, the yeah. toys, and they made this sound
0: when, when they would change, yeah. you know
1: yeah. what I mean, into a car or whatever. And Jeff, uh, DJs that were good enough could do that sound. And, pff, man, look,
0: who produced Girls?
1: I did. The way that thing comes in, the way it... Y'all didn't even have to clear that back then, did you?
0: We didn't know nothing about that, which we found out about that a little bit later. Oh, <laughs> I Dream of know, genie. Yeah, yeah. I took that straight off of the TV show tunes record. How did you record that? Oh, oh, oh it was off oh, a record. I, oh, I played that. Like, this was before sampling. Like, you said, oh, yeah. the, the record Oh, yeah. The record, a touch wow. of jazz with all of the jazz breaks. Oh, yeah. I cut those. I cut those. I'm blending them. There was no sampling, no triggering. It was that's I live every that's, time. Oh, live. That's, that's where Jazzy time.
1: Jeff comes from. The jazz in your family. Yep. Jazzy. I get it. I get it.
2: It's all coming together.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you cut that
0: beat together completely. Bro,
1: that, I mean, it sounds beautiful, man. When I came on the
0: radio. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember coming up to New York and them playing it on the radio. And you were just kind of like. I was good. I could have quit then.
1: Well,
2: you know, in another way, it was very um, groundbreaking because it was crossover before crossover was a known thing and before crossover had any stink on it. You know, like later it was on- smart. No crossover would be a movement. But before that, you were really bridging the gap for suburban kids, white kids. All the kids understood that universal thing was beefing with their parents, you know, or
0: girls. And when I tell you that played no part in making it. Like people used to look at Will and I like we were from the suburbs. I cannot begin to tell you where we grew up. Yeah, It was just a different mindset. You know, Will was a storyteller and that was the thing that I liked. I remember when him and I first got together, we were at a party and I played Moments in Love and he rapped the entire Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble over moments in love and i will never forget a thousand people looking at his mouth hanging on every word and i was like that's power Mm. that's power like he's telling a story and you're visualizing everything that he's saying like that was the thing that i understood that i was kind of like girls ain't nothing but trouble is the exact same record as parents just don't understand it's just a different subject matter He was a storyteller. And that's, you know, the, my whole thing was like, I need to build the canvas for him to tell a story.
2: And it was not marketing. It wasn't oh. like, we were going to make them more friendly to, the, to a larger audience. And we're going to make it like, they're very suburban. So we this can, is, this none is of that all, was manufactured. This
0: is all so new. They didn't know that existed. Okay. I never knew kids existed in the suburbs to even listen to something like that.
1: Yeah. To me, it was like advancing rap. It was like, all right, cool. We heard it this way. We heard it that way. It's growing. It's constantly growing. The music, subject matter, the MC, the DJ, it was like growing. So when I heard Girls Ain't None But Trouble, I thought genius. I didn't think commercial. I thought genius. This is how you make a record. Hmm. So I was studying. He's the DJ. I'm the rapper on cassette every day walking to school with the walkman. Mm -hmm. It blocked everything out. And I'm like, listening. And I'm like, this is the standard. This is the new standard.
2: It's so interesting because coming from inside the business, so I'm, I'm on the media side in magazines, and we're looking at it as, oh, this is really smart business because it's kind of like, oh, you already have a lot going on in terms of, Hard, grimy, street stories. And you got to tell the other side of the story because there's an audience that just is waiting to be spoken to, right? Right. The other part of it was my perception of Philly and Philly hip-hop was so different than what you guys were bringing. Schooly D, Mm -hmm. Cool C. Steady B.
0: Steady Steady
2: B. B. Hilltop I mean, just the hardest, you know, better or for worse, really living it.
1: Let me tell you. When I saw them on the, on the album covers and the pictures and write ons and word ups and all of that,
2: yeah.
1: I'm like, yo, these dudes is fly. Like, they were in Gucci. <laughs> I didn't know Gucci made them type of sweatsuits. You know, I didn't know LeCog's sport. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could finesse it like that.
2: The bright colors, the lots colors of The like- colors
1: was hitting, everything was hitting. And um, I thought New York was like the center of fashion style and all these things i knew i didn't know much about philly i didn't know much about jurors i didn't know much about all the surrounding or all the other cities so when we saw them we was like we've learned how to dress too the chains the this We was like oh they got the herringbone with the <laughs> the name joint in the middle of the joint i'm like this is a different take on the herringbone <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean
2: where were you getting the style from?
1: Where was you shopping
2: yeah,
0: You know, like You where? know what's crazy? What, what people don't understand? The Philadelphia music scene was what we thought you were doing in New York. What do you because, mean? Well, you got to understand, we didn't have any video shows. We would get a Cold Crush tape, a 40th generation Cold Crush tape that you closed your eyes and envisioned you being inside of the T-Connection and at this party. So... We were making what we thought that was. One of the big reasons that Philly became such a DJ town is we thought that's how it was in New York. We didn't realize that the MC came first in New York and then the DJ. Mm -hmm. Like Will's whole thing was, I'm going to let you know how great Jeff is because we thought that's what they did in New York. So when we got out, Everybody's kind of like, oh my God, the DJ was amazing and he's bigging up the DJ. And we're kind of like, wait, y'all don't do that? Like, (laughs) we we were only copying what we thought you guys did. Your name is first in the group. Yeah. So was Grandmaster Flash. Right. You know, so we kind of looked at it like this is the template and we're just following the template. And it's this, you know, it's the same thing with the clothes because we didn't have a direct pathway to see what they were doing in Queens or what they were doing in Brooklyn or in the Bronx, we kind of did our own thing. All of those patterns are following the street guys. You know, the street guys, yeah. you know, in Philly, always got their haircut. You got your hair cut twice a week. You know, you always, yeah, I, kept you, the I wanted haircuts. a feline suit and I want some fresh felines, and I want a crispy shirt and I want it buttoned up. I want a a, a green Lacoste yeah. shirt with some white Lacoste short. I got green Lacoste socks and some Stan Smiths. Like you wanted, that yeah. was it. We go out to the park every Sunday and you just pose up. And that was our gear, you know. And one of the things that I've realized, like I remember... I remember when Yo! MTV got big and I always said Yo! MTV was the thing that bridged everything together and it stopped the separation, which I I didn't really like that. like It was a thing. When I would go and visit my family down south, you knew you were down south. You know, I'm coming down there with a box haircut and I got parts and everybody's like, ooh, ah... Yo MTV brought the box haircut to the South. Yeah. Yo MTV yeah, yeah, yeah. brought the clothes to the South. So in that time, you know, this is how Philly dressed. I used to love driving from Philly and you drive through New Jersey and the radio changes. Yeah. And then you right. drive to New York and the radio changes. Yeah. We all had the same big records, but you had New York hit records that we didn't have in Philly. Right. You know, we had Philly staples that they didn't have in D.C. They didn't play go-go in New York right. or in Philly. They played it in Baltimore and D.C., though.
1: Right.
0: You know, and I love the fact that each section, as much as we had what we all had, you had your own individuality that I think kind of got changed once.
2: It's like franchising. The minute Absolutely. that somebody franchises something, then we're all eating the exact same recipe.
0: Completely. And that changed. But that that kind of helped. You know, our style, you know, once it all started to come together, once we started coming to New York, it was kind of like, you know, there's different, there's different slang yeah. in New York. Oh, for there's sure. There's different swag in New York. And we're different. Like, I remember, you know, some of my close friends in New York used to always say, man, y'all Philly guys, are, y'all, y'all, y'all cute, y'all pretty boys, you know. And I'm kind of like, I'm, I, I thought I was supposed to get my hair cut twice a week. I'm supposed to look sharp. You know, I'm supposed to have my creases and my jeans and my my shoes laid out right. But like I said, uh, so much of that comes from street culture, you know, looking at the drug dealers in your neighborhood and what they drove and how they, you know, it was kind of like, I'm able to do the same thing without doing the same thing. Don't mean to bust your bubble, but girls of the world ain't nothing but trouble. So, next time a girl gives you the play, just remember my rhyme to get the hell away. Just last week, when I was walking down the street, I observed this lovely lady that I wanted to meet. all the same no matter time no place they don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes so to you other kids all across the land there's no need to argue parents just don't understand
1: seminar mm. dj battle seminar oh yeah i remember hearing um you beat everybody I wish I could have been there. <laughs>
2: 1986, I believe, I wish right? I yeah. could
1: have been there, but it was the talk of the town, and I couldn't believe, like, I thought nobody would be anybody in New York. I didn't know anything about any place else but New York, mm-hmm. so when I'm hearing this guy from Philly had won, and I realized, like, he, he, New York, you don't have to just be from here to be yeah. good. This thing is a universal thing. This thing is about who has the talent to win. We knew you was nice on the cuts. And when that happened, it was a bittersweet thing for New York, but you had to respect the champ. Yeah. And, and that was you.
0: Yeah, it was, I got to give all credit to Lady B, who was uh, on the radio in Philly. Legend. Um, and we went to the radio station and, you know, a couple of years before that, she was at a club that I was doing in Philly and I was doing a bunch of routines and she you know, she got on the radio the next day and was like, oh my God, Jazzy Jeff is the best DJ I've ever seen. So, you know, you, everybody in the neighborhood heard that. So it was kind of wow. like you had that. So when when we put out Girls Ain't nothing But Trouble and we went up to do the interview with her, she brought that back up. Like, I remember seeing Jeff in the club. He was incredible. And she was like, I'm one of the judges in this DJ battle in New York. We need to talk afterwards. And I I wanted to make sure that wasn't just radio talk. So when the interview was over... You know, I went to her and she picked up the phone and she called Dave Klein, who was running the seminar battle at that time, and she said, I have a DJ that I wanna put in the battle and he's gonna win <laughs> And Dave was kinda like, Okay, and at that point in time you had to have a record to be in the seminar and I did absolutely no DJ work on Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble.
2: Oh Like that wasn't okay. so
0: no one kinda knew. It wasn't like I was showing any skills on that. And you know, it was super exciting. They gave us the list of the rules and the regulations. And I went and made up about 15 different routines. And when we got to New York, it was like, I was i was just excited. Like, I'm in New York. I'm seeing all these people that I looked up to. And then I realized in the pairing, the first round, they put me up against the world champ. And I knew this was- <laughs> Who did you go up against me. first? It was a guy out of Jersey named DJ Cheese. I knew this was to get me out of the way. And there was, there was two setups. One of the setups, everybody that was on this setup was losing. The needles were jumping. And I am the ultimate tech geek. So I came up there with my slip mats. I came up there with my own needles. And I came up with a can of WD-40, which was oil. Because if you sprayed it in a crossfader, the crossfader would get really loose. so. I walked up to Cheese and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand like you know hey how you doing I'm Jazzy Jeff you know cuz I like cheese you know and he he looked at me and walked away. Ooh. And I was like okay. He set the tone. So I <laughs> deliberately walked up to the turntables that everybody was having a problem with and Will was upset. Like Will wanted me to go over yeah. on the good side. You know, because it was the rap battle, the DJ battle, the rap battle, the DJ battle. So we're getting set up while the rap battle's going on. And no one's paying attention that I took the mats off and I put my own mats on. I had my own records. I switched out the needles because no one did that. And I reached in the bag and I looked around and I took that (laughs) WD-40 and I shot it in a crossfader and I made it loose. And I tested this turntable and I tested this one. And I looked at well, He's in the future. (laughs) And I stuck my finger up. I know, I I know their mixer was destroyed after I did that, but I won. So, you know, and it was just, that was really great because, you know, you had everybody from Grandmaster Cass to Africa Bambada, everybody was in the room. And it was just one of those things like, okay, I'm going to show everybody a piece of everything that I can do. And each round, I did something a little bit different from, you know, rhythm scratching to breaking down records and not realizing, once again, I'm thinking everybody in the world knows this, that I didn't realize that they'd never seen someone break a record down in syllables. And, you know, so some of the things that I was doing, you know, cutting Grandmaster Flashes, pumped Me Up. He says a, a line in the record, you know, I'm a bow-legged brother. There'll never be another. I bought a mansion for my mother. So I started breaking it down. I bought a mansion for my mother. I bought a, and people were losing it. Wow. And then, you, you know, you add that showman that you know that is five seconds left. So you say, I bought a mansion for my, and I would just hold it. And when they turned the light on to tell you your time's up, you let mother go. And everybody goes crazy, you know, and it was just... I can
2: hear it.
1: Like, I can hear it in my head. Yeah,
0: That was good. That was one of those things that it was kind of like, we just really wanted the respect from New York. We knew this all started from New York. We're doing what we thought New York was doing, and we just wanted the respect. New York was... That was it. That was it. Will was a massive Melly Mel Grandmaster Cass fan. I'm a massive Grandmaster Flash fan. You know, so if I got a thumbs up from Flash, I'm like, I'm good.
1: Now this video comes, this iconic video of parents just on a stand. I remember it was just like.
0: The colors. Wow.
1: The colors in it and everything was just like smart stuff, man. Yeah, I was a next level, man.
0: Yeah. That was the first rap double album. And it was because I had done pretty much a whole scratch album. And we were going to mix the two together. And, you know, when we were recording it, someone came up with the idea, why don't we make it a double album? But from the time of us doing that, the reason we were able to put Live at Union Square on He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper was because after I won the seminar, we started coming up here a lot because people wanted to see You know, who was this guy who won the seminar? Mm. And I remember doing live at Union Square and someone from New York calling me and they said, Mr. Magic is playing it on the radio. Mr. Magic was the host and he he recorded recorded it. And he started playing it on the radio and people started calling and requesting it on the radio. And we actually called him and he gave us a copy of the cassette and we put it on the album.
1: Copy of the cassette is on the album from the live show at Union Union Square. Square. It doesn't get any more hip hop. You didn't even know it
2: wasn't a planned live recording. It's not like, oh, we're gonna make this for it.
0: Nah,
1: that's hip hop.
0: We didn't even know we were gonna do an album, you know, at that point in time. I think, you know, the funny thing is, those early days of hip hop, hip hop hadn't become cemented yet. So we were fighting for legitimacy because, you know, we got a lot of flack from the Kool and the Gangs and the Gap bands and, you know, especially when you start coming up and you're owning the radio and you got to do a radio show with all of these groups. The one thing that I realized is the energy of hip hop and the crowd participation. Kool and the Gang wasn't telling people to throw their hands in the air. So we're walking on stage while you got a full band with two turntables, a mixer and a microphone and we're. We're shutting the whole thing down, you know, with crowd participation and say whole oh, and the crowd is saying something back. Like that was really one of the first times that the audience felt like they were a part of the show. Yeah. It wasn't really a lot of love there when the drum machine came out. Drummers were mad when the synthesizer came out. Piano players were mad. You know, it was kind of the same thing. You know, for all intent and purpose, I'm the band. You know, you got a drummer, a keyboard player, and you doing all the rest of this, and they wheel out this card table, and we rock the show and, and leave. Like, they, people weren't really accepting of that.
1: I saw a show, Video Music Box, Jive mm. Party, mm. you guys, Kumo D, everybody, and it was electric, and it was special to see these guys because here's all these uh-huh. New York artists for the most part, and then as you guys and Steady B. And, you know, Steady's B, like, he's like, he does his thing. I like Steady, bought his records. Bought, and, and, you know, you guys were like a whole routine, dancers, the whole thing, everything you want to see at a hip hop show at that time, especially gear, the fresh gear, dancers, beatbox, you and him, y'all routine. It was like, Yo, you gotta step your game up. <laughs> yeah. And it was tough. It was like a time period where it wasn't just given to you here, go out there and you made it. It was still, you made it, but you still gotta bring it. Yeah. What was that night like? Were you guys like, yo, we got some competition that night? We got some, it's Kumo D at his highest. How you, you like me I, now, you know, Kumo D? I don't D. think
0: we ever thought <laughs> of the competition. We still had in our mind, we got to play so we don't get booed. Mm. We weren't trying to beat anybody. We were trying not, it, it, wasn't, it was never about another group. It was about the crowd. Right. Like I remember right. the first time we did Latin Quarters and when we finished the show and walked off, it was dead silent. And Eric B and Rakim went on before us and they booed them through the whole show. And I was like, you got the biggest record in New York. And when we walked off and it was quiet, I remember the promoter came up and he said, I've never seen that. And we were disappointed. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. They boo everybody. So for them not to boo, like they didn't know how to cheer. They just did nothing. And everybody was like, yo, that was the greatest show we've ever seen. (laughs) And I was like, wow, New York. Like We were terrified. Like the live at Union Square. The reason why the DJ set started that show off, Will was terrified to do Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble because it was like they're going to boo us. So it's like we're going to front load this with Jeff, then we're going to bring out the human beatbox, and they're going to do it, and then we're going to end with the record. Wow. And that was really so that we didn't get booze.
1: People have no idea that a thing like this was happening, this was hip-hop They have no idea. They don't even. They can't even probably put their mind around it not going well. What if it doesn't go well? And if it doesn't go, and you can have the hottest song out, you can have the hottest song Mm -hmm. out. And this is what I was growing up watching. Like, it's tough, tough. It's tough, yo.
2: Every day you're not trying to go out there to win. You're just trying to not die. You are
0: trying to survive. (laughs) Exactly. You know, even from the house party, I'm playing so they won't fight. Yeah. Like they. I remember the shower posse going through Union Square snatching people's chains and glasses and I remember sitting in that cage on top of Union Square watching this and I'm like and you're about to send me down there wow. like I was like and I am it. going to scratch for my life <laughs> Yo. like and that's that's really what it was.
1: Philly, we know how serious it is. There was the the Junior Black Mafia, JBM, and uh, mm. how how were guys like that? Were they out when you guys were out? Did you DJ parties that they
0: were at? Did you know any of those dudes? They were some of my closest friends. We all grew up together, and that the interesting thing about that is, you know, when you fourteen and fifteen and you playing ball you know, and you go into the house parties, there's a point in time where the fork in the road splits. And I got some friends that went to college and played ball. I had, a I lived on a block that I had five guys that I grew up with went into the police force. Oh, wow. But I also lived up the street where it was five guys that were head of JBM. So it's wild because it's kind of like my man, who's the police officer, we run ball with the JBM guys, you know, because we're, you know, we're cool. And he's got this crazy, you know, uh, uh, fight inside of him because of his job. They're chasing the JBM guys through the street, you know, and high speed car chases. And we just got finished running ball. And it's funny that um, Will is getting ready to release a book. And I went to Miami for the book reading. And it's probably one of the most honest things that I've ever heard in my life because he really goes through that whole era. When we won the first American Music Award, I remember JL told us, listen, because we took a bunch of people and JL said, listen, if by chance Jeff and Will win, no one goes on stage, but Jeff and Will, and you kind of know how that went. But there's a clip that when we're on stage... One of my closest friends, who was one of my best men at my wedding, who is a police lieutenant now, was newly elected on the force. And it was one of the biggest drug dealers in the city standing on the other side of me. And we're on television. Like, you know how much trouble he got in when he got back home? Because we're we're all friends, though. You know, but that whole Thing is, you know, I'm not going to give it away, but that whole thing is a very big reason why Will ended up in L.A. Yeah. For for the show. Like, it was, it got very, very hairy and very, very closed in that it was kind of like, okay, we...
2: Have to make a choice. Yeah,
0: we kind of need to separate ourselves because to watch somebody that you grew up with get to a point that, you know... You are the king of the street. You know, you watch that. You watch the rise and the fall of so many people mm. that you grew up with, you know, because we all, we all grew up together. But it was just once that, like I said, that fork in the road came and everybody chose a path. And we chose this path and they chose that path.
1: They must have been happy y'all was representing.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and you On know what's cool? Side. Because like, we would go to Jack the Rapper. And, and it's funny because street guys... Don't do a lot. You know, street guys go to Vegas. Street guys go to Atlantic City. You know, that's where, you know, everybody was wearing Gucci because it was a Gucci store in Atlantic City. But for us to take the street guys to Jack the Rapper, they got a chance to see people. They got a chance to meet people that they normally wouldn't have. You know, it was outside of their comfort zone. That's
2: a you huge know. convention, a music convention yeah. in Atlanta.
0: These are also guys that are looking at you Like, you guys are making money in music, and we're making money on the street. So we weren't asking them for any money. They wasn't asking us for any money. They just kind of wanted to be around. Like, yo, y'all got a show in Houston? We going? So it was taking them out of the surroundings that they were, you know? And it was, you know, like I said, they were, everybody was super happy, you know? Everybody was super supportive. It just got to a point that we kind of had to make some kind of a decision.
1: And was you and Will always good?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that was, you know, it's, it's funny. Because um, you guys I, seem
1: like the best brothers in the world. you very inspirational on what longevity yeah. and friendship and brotherhood and a group
0: should yeah. look like. Well, I mean, you know, we, we definitely had our moments. Our moments weren't our moments. Our moments were industry moments. You know, a lot of times when you get to the pitfalls of the industry, you never blame the industry. You always blame each other. You always think it's you. You didn't work hard enough. It was something that you didn't do. You didn't write this. You didn't make the right beat. And, you know, you don't ever really blame it on the industry. But we never really had any kind of bad moments. I'm more mature now. I am the exact same person. I have the exact same passion. You know, I get up and I make music every day, all day. To me, making music is giving birth. Like, you can make something that is going to be the song that somebody's going to meet their wife off of. Like, you're creating something and you're putting it out into the world. And it's kind of like every time that you can make something, you know, every album, every project, you are giving birth and you're letting it go into the world, letting it grow up however it's going to grow. And then you're going to go back and do it again. And that is an amazing thing to me. When Will and I first got together, Will said, "I want to be the biggest movie star in the world." And I was like, "And I want to do music for the movies." So that was your conversation. In the that beginning. was our conversation. There is absolutely nothing that didn't happen that we set. It just didn't go the way that we thought. And I realized that that every goal that I set for myself that I've reached I didn't reach it the way I thought I was going to reach it, but I got there. So watching where he's at and what he's been able to do, you know, it's a little bit different. You know, we have kids now, we have families and, you know, you go through the pitfalls and up and down and you're angry and this. And then you try to figure it out. Like, where, where do I want to live? You know, how do I want to live? You know, it's me living in my 20s. I needed to be where the action's at. You know, yeah. I get into my 40s and my 50s. It's kind of like I kind of want to be with some peace and quiet. But I'm never going to lose my passion, you know, for what I did. Going down to Florida, listening to Will read this book was actually the first time that I recalled any of this stuff. I've never heard them all in one thing. Oh, wow. In one sitting. And it was really, really overwhelming that he read maybe like three chapters and I looked at him and I was like, yo, how the fuck did we do all of this? How, How... who does this? Why are we in Florida with the same group of guys, me, JL, Charlie, Will, and Omar? Solid. You know, like people don't do that. You know, you think of the friends that come and go. You think yeah. of the pitfalls yeah. that you have. That is a very rare thing that we can be mad and argue and fuss, but we, we you know, we're still locked solid.
1: That's beautiful. That's what we all want to be. And they're still happy together, laughing, yeah, doing what they want to do, whatever they want to do. After pushing culture, after inspiring us in many ways to do film and TV and music and DJ and rap and, you know, to still be here as examples of hip hop royalty mm. is so important. We need that because you see a lot of other music genres and you see their older guys that are 40s or 50s or whatever and we see in our world they wind up killed or 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 in prison you know Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate so when we can see the good ending it's rare so you guys are an example that we are proud of and happy about and inspired by man so today has been nothing but a blessing (laughs) to have the great dj jazzy jeff in our presence we thank you man
0: Man, listen, I don't know. Like I said, we are we are technically the first generation that is growing old with hip-hop. Right. And we don't know how to handle that. Right. But if you look at the Temptations and the Four Tops and the OJs, we're supposed to be doing this until we can't do it anymore. Right. And it's our job to knock down all of these walls so that the next generation, hopefully, will be 50, 60, and 70 years old doing world tours.
1: That's where it's at. Science. (laughs) Listen. Living in the future. Living in the future. From Spotify, the executive producers are Gina Delvec and Jason Rodriguez. With additional production support from Leslie Guam and Andrea Salenzi. And special thanks to Courtney Holt, Jessica Dow, and everyone at Spotify who helped the bridge come to life. From Mass Appeal, the executive producers are myself, Nas, Peter Bittenbender, Jenya Meggs. Lead producer is Medina Parwana. And associate producer is Serge Jibreja. Our writer is Gabe Alvarez. Samara Langer and Cliff Cristofaro are our editors. Thanks for listening.